0: Thanks, Pastor Courtney. Hi. What kept you up last night, by the way? What keeps you up at night? What's the thing? What's the thing? You know, you wake up, if you're my age, you wake up because you got to take care of some business once or twice, three times, and then it's hard to go back to sleep because there's something about your life that's rattling around in your head. There's something that's there. It's one or it's two things. What is that thing for you right now? What's the thing in your life that if you were honest, you'd say, you know what, it keeps me up and I'm not quite sure how God's going to come meet me in it. See, because here's my confession. My confession is that I actually, with all my passion for God, with all of the the study that I've done in God's word, uh, my confession is that I still don't believe with every fiber of my being that he's going to come and provide for me what it is I think I need in my life. So where I'm facing struggles, I don't believe totally that he's going to come and meet me in it. Where I'm lacking, I don't know that I'm going to be enough, that I'm going to have enough, that he's going to intervene in our world and in my life. And so I live in this angst and this worry and how it manifests for me is some sleepless nights uh, or at least parts of nights it manifests for me, over-functioning, working, holding on, trying to figure out, manipulating, arranging, and creating so that I can make sure that whatever I'm afraid of won't go down the wrong road too far? What is it for you that that you kind of, you're organizing, you're you're, uh, over-organizing, you're controlling, ooh, the C word, you're controlling because you're not sure if God's going to come through for you. Does anybody relate to that? What's that thing that you're hanging on to right now even in your life where you're like, man, this thing, I'm not sure God's going to come through. One of the things I realized in the study of the scriptures that we're doing is that so many of the Old Testament stories are about this idea that God alone is our hope. We certainly can't put our hope in kings. We can't put our hope in the judges. We can't put our hope even in the prophets. Like we just realize all these people are so messed up. That where we put our hope is in God. So I titled my sermon, as we're going to look at the life of Elijah, Trusting in the Only One Who Brings Life. He's the only one who brings life. So I want to do a little couple uh, minutes of study in the book of Elijah. We're going to do a little Bible study. So I'm going to come down here and be with you. I want you to grab a Bible underneath. The, uh, everybody have a Bible. We're not going to have the scripture on the screens. And uh, we'll kind of integrate some... Um, some Bible study together. Somebody give me a page number for where 1 Kings 17 is in those Bibles underneath the seats in front. I want everybody to have a Bible, okay? Make sure you get a Bible. What's a page number? 352. 352. Thank you. By the way, if you were here last week, you may have handed me a little white card. Do you remember that? Do you know who you are? You may have handed me a little white card because you didn't get a study Bible because first service took them all from you. I have them for you now. If you give me a little white card, you got a Bible up there. That's yours up there. Do you need to go get it right now, even before we study? Go, go get it. Go get it. If, you, if it's yours, you're embarrassed because you don't want to do it. Yeah, go. Yay. So excited. Go get your Bible. It's so fun. There's color on every page. Did we tell you that? The, joke, the reason I say that joke, right, let me, right, let me see this. The reason I say is because it says it right here. That's the little emblem. There's color on every page. That's why I mock that. Thank you. All right. Well done, everybody. There's enough for everybody who wrote on their white card. If you are like, what did I miss last week? I know. And so our motto in this church is in Covenant, where we love Jesus, and if you snooze, you lose. That's our motto. <laughs> it's not our motto. Um, we would love to have you... Uh, let me know if you want one of those study bibles because we want to make sure everybody gets one. Todd, I think we're going to have enough for you uh, after we're done here. So, um, everybody get, turn to 1st Kings 17. If somebody got the big giant study bible, know what page that's on by the way. In that one? 551. Five, Thank you. All right, here we go. We're going to do uh, we're going to do a little bit of Bible study in 1st Kings and as we do, as we read, we're going to read through the three sections of uh, this passage, 1 Kings 17. And if we have time, we'll allude a little bit to chapter 18, but probably not. This is about the prophet Elijah. And there's some stories here that are kind of well-known. Sometimes you might have even have heard of them if you haven't even been a Bible student. Um, but as we read through them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make some observations now. We'll engage a little bit in Bible study. I want you to make some ob- observations around, and here's what happens when we study the Scriptures. You ask these questions. You ask so what am I learning about God in this story, in this passage? What am I learning about people, the human condition in this passage? And then what do I learn about a relationship with God, right? What do I learn about God? What do I learn about humans? What do I learn about God and humans relating? You got it? That's kind of how you begin to observe the scripture text. So let's read together uh, in, um, in 1 Kings, starting verse Kings 17, 1 Kings 17.1. Okay, you with me? Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. All right, what's happening here? Wait a minute, wait a minute before we, I'm going to read the rest of the text in a minute. We'll ask our questions, but but you got to know some context. You're like, wait, who are these people? What's Elijah? Okay. He says to Ahab, who's Ahab? I want to just do a little bit of context. And and he's, and and Elijah the prophet is announcing there's going to be a drought. That's all we know so far. But let's look back at some of the context of this thing. So we didn't assign it in our readings, in your Summer in the Scriptures readings, but look back at chapter 16 at verse uh, 29, okay? And we'll look at a little, a little uh, intro there. Everybody with me, 1629. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah... Ahab, son of Omri, became the king of Israel. All right, who's lost? Who is already like, that is why I'm not reading my Bible? <laughs> right, you're like, what? what just happened? There's like these names and there's Israel and there's Judah and I don't know the difference. Look, at, you are not alone. There's color in every page of that Bible and including, <laughs> including there's a chart of all the kings. Now here's what you're missing. Here's what, 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 I'm gonna give you a little context, okay? In our readings, we read that after the time of King Solomon, King David, he's famous, King Solomon, that's his son, he's super famous, right after that time, God's people, Israel, God's people, Israel, they started warring against each other, and they separated north against south. It's called the divided kingdom. And the northern kingdom was 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel, and it's now called Israel. I know that's confusing. They used to all be called Israel. And now just the 10 northern tribes are called Israel. The southern tribe is now called, anybody know? Judah. Judah. So now what we've got is in the kings, you see the story. They're talking about the different kings that were leading, both the northern tribes called what? Israel. And the southern tribes called? Judah. Judah. 10 and 2 is 12. That's what's happening. And so now you have this divided history. And so when you hear about the northern tribes or about Israel, that's who we're talking about. And when you hear about the... The southern tribes, or Judah, we're talking about that, those guys down there. All right, so, that's, so let's go back to verse 29 of um, chapter 16. So in the 38th year of Asa, he was king of what? Judas, which is which tribes? The southern, yeah. Oh, if, I wish you could see a map. If you had this cool study Bible, there's a map in there. All right. So in, in, when he had been reigning 33 years in Judah, Ahab, son of Omri... So Ahab, who we're talking about in this next text, he became king of Israel, the northern tribes. And he reigned in Samaria because that's the area north of Jerusalem, north of Judah. If you saw a map, you'd see where I'm talking about the northern tribes was headquartered in this area, this region called Samaria. Everybody tracking with me? And he had been there over uh, 22 years. Ahab, now we're going to talk about who Ahab is, which is the guy we announced in verse one of chapter 17. Ahab, he's the son of Omri, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. First of all, stop. I don't know what you want to say on your tombstone. (laughs) But this is not it. And again, we just tell this story. Israel was putting their hope that life and prosperity and peace would come from their kings. But what we know is that the only one who brings life is God himself, which is why you keep hearing these stories about these evil kings. So he did worse than anybody before him. Then what's the next verse? They're too, way too small for me without glasses. 31, he did not consider it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Naboth. You're like, who's Jeroboam? I know, go look it up, it's, he's earlier in the story. But just the point, he didn't consider it trivial to con- commit these sins. Man, do we consider it trivial when we go against God's ways? He didn't consider it trivial to do so. This is just a heartbreaking story. Not only did he not consider it trivial to commit the sins of the people who had gone before him, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal, or Baal, and worship him. So he married a woman that was not an Israelite and started worshiping her false idols. And he set up an altar for for Baal or Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. He also made an Asherah pole, another God, and did more, listen to this, did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Man, what a bumper, bummer. That guy was not pleasing to the Lord. And so God sends a prophet to talk to him. And that's the context of where we are in Chapter 17. You with me? Okay. We're not getting very far, are we? This is why we only assigned you three chapters, which for some of you may be too many. Because if we, if you have that study Bible, you're all, you just so much to read. So now we're back in verse 17 or chapter 17, verse 1. So Elijah says to Ahab, this terrible king, as the Lord of the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there's neither going to be dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. God is sending as a wake-up call. To those that are doing evil, he's going to send a drought because God uses trials, whether he brings them, sends them, causes them, or just uses them. God's going to bring difficult things in order to wake his people up because they're not paying attention, right? So verse two, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Careth ravine east of the Jordan you will drink from the brook I have directed you uh, and I have directed the, the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Careth Ravine east of the Jordan and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. All right, so far, first section up through that verse six. What do you see about God? What do you see about people? What do you see about a relationship with God or even what, like, what does not make any sense to you? So let's do a little Bible study. What do you see here? I want to hear from a couple people before I tell you what I see. Yep, all the way over there, Jennifer. God so God's providing. What's He providing? What do you see? What's He providing? He provides through the raven. Yeah, He's, he's at a, the yeah. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to put you in this place to hide, and I'm going to give you food. God's providing. Good. What else do you see? God provides. He's providing for a, a deep practical need in a very real way. A deep practical need, which is what. Food, yeah, in, in a very pragmatic, real way. God meets our real needs. Sometimes we think our relationship with God is this big spiritual thing, but we're talking about the stuff that keeps us awake at night is super pragmatic, real stuff. Bills and relationships and, and health, and, right? And God's meeting that. Good. What else do you see in this? He told him to leave. Yeah, it's a good question. It's worth reflecting on. Why did he tell him to leave? Maybe he was protecting them. Maybe removing the prophet's voice was a way to kind of bring the judgment on. I don't know. That's, a, that's actually a great question. Solange. He doesn't do it in a way that we would want our needs to be met. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's pretty sure we're not the best judge of what we need and do not need and how we need it. Yeah. Yeah. Did. Okay. Sins do not go unnoticed. Yeah. You see that? He's always going, No, I see, and I want to wake you up to that. Yeah. Uh, there's really strong contrast between the drought as a punishment for disobedience and the richness with which God provides the life. How do you see it as rich? Tell me about that. He's eating bread and meat every day. <laughs> This is good. In fact, yeah, in fact, so this is, this is what I saw in this, this section. It's all that you guys said. It's uh, that Yahweh provides what we need, even when it looks scarce. And uh, let's talk about a couple things. I want to come back to that point. First of all, I use the word Yahweh. Do you know why I do that? Yahweh is God's personal name. That's God's name. Back when he revealed himself to, to Moses, you know, uh, Moses said, well, who, who? He says, "Go to go to... Go to my people and, uh, and tell them my word. And basically, I'm going to lead them. And he goes, well, who do I say sent me? And he said, tell them I am. Remember that? That's this word Yahweh. What you see in your Bible, what do you see in your Bible? The Lord. you see the word the Lord? Look at like in verse 2. The word of the Lord. Now, what do you notice about that word? Okay. Yeah, it's all capitals. See the little weird little capitals? That's a symbol for you in our translation that that's actually the word, the name Yahweh, the great I am. So you could read it as Yahweh, like my God, the great I am, my God, our God is to the the Lord. And the reason it's written that way, it's, it's a tradition that's come down through all the generations that the Israelites knew that God was so holy that it would dishonor him. It was profane for them to speak his name because they were unholy people. And he is the holy God. And so they worked around saying the personal name of God. We, the veil has been torn between us and God through Jesus. We're in a relationship with God. And in fact, we can speak his name, Abba Father. We can even say his name Yahweh. But I wanted to put that there because that's part of the Bible study to be like, why is how come it's the capital letters? Anybody ever notice that? Who first time never knew that till today? Like, I want to know that's yay, it's so fun. Is it the best? Okay. Um, so Yahweh provides what we need even when there's scarcity even in the midst of this this drought that's coming and he goes off and he hides in a ravine that God's going to come and provide what he needs and one of the things that I want to point out about that is exactly that point that he actually provides miraculously for sure but kind of royally did you use the word royally is that just yeah that's in my notes uh, there's, this, there's this sense of abundance. So here's the interesting thing about that. He said that he was given two kinds of food from the ravens. What was it? Bread and, bread and meat. meat. And did, when did he bring it? Morning and, night. Morning and night. He was getting food twice a day and bread twice a day. People didn't eat meat except for on special occasions, on festivals, once a week. They were. I mean, there was no way that, that, that anybody at that time would be eating bread and meat two times a day. Do you know who ate meat every day? Kings. Kings, In fact, there's a contrast later, if you read the whole story, that Jezebel... The, the, the woman who enticed them to worship the Baals, Jezebel invited all of her false prophets to eat at the queen's table. And this is a little bit of a nod that the false prophets were eating meat at the queen's table, but the true God was providing for God's true prophet by giving him a king's meal, essentially, by providing for him over and above. Now listen, everything we're gonna talk about today, this idea that God's the one that brings life It has these pragmatic um, realities to it. But we know now as we live in this New Testament era, this new covenant with God, that this is about the kingdom blessings that come. This is about God giving us spiritual life at its fullest. It's, it's, It's metaphorical here in this very pragmatic thing, but the way in which God meets our needs is both pragmatic and spiritual and in the kingdom of God. And he does it as if we were his royal Kings. He provides us with that kind of abundance. And you go, I've seen my bank account. It's not that abundant. (laughs) And yet, relatively, and yet he provides, which is the point of this text, that he provides. Good. There's a New Testament verse that says this, and my God, it's in Philippians chapter four, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus he's the one who brings life. So what is it that's keeping us awake? What is it that we're worried about? What is it that we wonder if God's going to meet our need and take care of us? God promises in his word that he will meet our needs according to his riches. He'll give us everything that we need. Now look at the next paragraph, the next section of this text after he's being fed by the ravens. By the way, ravens, what a weird bird to feed you. If you have the study Bible, read the notes about ravens underneath it and where ravens came from. Ravens were unclean. You were not supposed to eat a raven. So he didn't send ravens for him to eat because that would have been against the law of Moses. And the reason you don't eat ravens is because ravens are feeding on dead carcasses and that's going to get you sick, right? So he, isn't that a weird... Down, like what is God... Like how unexpected this is what one of you, Solange, said that, right? That he sends a raven and he sends something... Anyway, I think that's fascinating. Lots of good, more questions and answers for me right now. All right, so verse seven. Then, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, "Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there." So you know where Zarephath is because you have a. You could look at the map in that Bible. It's awesome. You know this is this is up on the coast. This is between Tyre and Sidon. This means that this area and this woman he's going to encounter are not Israelis. They're not Israelites. They're not part of God's people. They're outside of it. And this is the place where Jezebel was from who brought the Baal worship in. And so the worship of the false gods came from this area. So he's now getting sent into the center of where all the false teachings coming from and where the people who do not believe as he believes is going. All right. So that just so you know. So that's Zarephath. So I've directed a widow there, God says, to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was getting, going to get it, he called out, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Wow, what a cool story. Or What do you see? What do you see about God, about people, about our relationship with him, about him bringing life? What do you see? Provisions. Okay, provision. Yep, he's providing still. Yeah. Yeah, there's power. It's, a, it's a, clearly a miracle at work here. Yep. Mhm. Anna. Who did? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. God kept his promise. He said, this is what's going to happen, and then that's what happened. Yeah, good. God uses us even when we don't think we have anything to give. Yep. Jenny. There's trust there when there shouldn't be. So a random man saying, just feed me the last of your food before you die. There's, she said, there's trust there even when there shouldn't be. Some random man saying, before you die, give me the last of your food, which is interesting. So she, she clearly trusted God. It's a little bit of a hint, by the way, that all the way through as God was arranging to create a people for himself, those people were going to gather all the non-Israelites, the Gentile world, all people would be able to someday place their faith in God and it would be honored. Yeah. He does, he takes care of the widow and the fatherless. That, it's so interesting that he picked a widow to go to because her resources were so limited. She didn't have, it wasn't like the next day her, you know, her residual check was gonna come in. Like there was no, nothing coming for her. A, a, a widow was essentially destitute at that time. And so uh, he takes care of her and he provides through her, which is so unexpected. Good, anything else that comes to mind? Right, so Yes. Yes, and he too, the Lord said, go, to, by the way, to the center of where all this trouble is coming from, and he's like, okay. Yeah, I was thinking about Carly mentioning her when leading worship here, like that God's given her this song, it's been so powerful for her, and the Lord says, I want you to share it with the church, and she's like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Who can't relate to that? Well, Most of us, though, can't relate to a person, and, and I don't want mean to embarrass Carly, but she then kept hearing the Lord. No, you gotta, you got to bring it. Yeah, no, I'll do something else, Lord. And then the Lord's like, you got to bring it. And she's like, okay, I'll bring it. And so there's an obedience piece there. This, this is how I, I phrased it, this second part from this section, that he keeps bringing life, even when we can't see where it's going to come from. See, the interesting thing about the miracle when you look at it was that he, look at the miracle again, that, uh, that they kept opening the jar and there was more oil in it. And then they kept opening the container, there was more flour in it. And so then the next day when they needed more, there was more. And The next day there was more. So the truth is, is, it wasn't some sort of a miracle where they walked into their house and the entire back bedroom was full of flour. And so then, why? Because then they would be not even having to trust the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. What the miracle was, was that they didn't see where it was going to come from, and every day's needs were met by that day. And so one commentator I read said, and so they were called, both Elijah and this woman were called to put their continual faith, listen to this, put their continual faith not in the provision, but in the provider that will preach because we usually do not get the room full of all the things that we know is now, oh, here's the stuff that I'm worried about, God. Here's the stuff about my life that I don't know. Like, oh, I have all the answer for the rest of my life piled up in, the, in, in, in hand. No, it's, I'm going to trust that the same God who rescued me yesterday will rescue me again today. The New Testament uh, is Jesus' words. He said it this way. He said, he taught us to pray. Remember this? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then say this line with me. Give us our our daily bread. That's what that is. That's daily bread. And where does that come from? That comes from the, the Old Testament story When they got freed from slavery in Egypt, they went into the desert. And in the desert, they were like, wait a minute. This is a terrible plan. At least in slavery, we had food on the table. Maybe we should go back to Egypt, remember? Because they had no food and they were beginning to starve to death and thirst to death in the desert. And then what did God do? Does anyone remember? He sent something. Manna. And every morning they woke up and there was something on the ground that they could pick up and eat. Do you know what the word manna means? Uh-uh. It means, what is this? <laughs> right? It literally means, what is it? Like, they were like, how? If you go back and look at my, my point here, that, that, that the, uh, he keeps bringing life, even when we can't see where it's going to come from, they were like, I don't even understand what this is. Like, this is not how I thought provision would come. They thought that provision, their bellies would be filled with, how they were always used to it being filled. And God gives them something every day that they can't even identify, they can't even define it. And so they just call it, what is it? So for 40 years, they're like, hey, is the, what is that gonna show up? (laughs) Is that great? And so we become people when we trust God with the life that he's gonna bring, we we become people who believe that, yeah, it's a day after day journey. And I don't know how he's gonna show up, and I don't know how he's going to meet my need. And, and do you resonate with this? That even though we met your need yesterday or the day before or last year or the last time you struggled in that relationship, even though you saw it happen before, it's still hard to believe that it will happen again. Is that, are you like me? And this is the story that just says, yeah, God will keep providing. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll do what I say, as Anna observed. The text teaches. Well, let us read the third section here starting verse 17. And then, sometime later, the same son, the son of the woman who owned the house, that son became ill. And he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, "What do you, what do you, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son." Elijah replied and took him from her. Uh, arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Yahweh, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Yahweh's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house he gave him to his mother and said, "Look, your son is alive." And then the woman said to Elijah, "Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth." Wow, that's an intense story. What do you see in here? What are some observations you make about God, about us, about our relationship? Yes. He had to do it three times repeatedly. He had to, he laid down on him three times. Interesting. Why do you think that is? Yeah, there's, there's something about that earnestness. In fact, that he even had to ask God for it. I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't asked God for it. So God's teaching us about this encounter to come at him and, and uh, um, engage with him for what, it, what life we're looking for. Yeah, I know it's a rather disturbing passage because it's a woman's son, but remember what it's trying to teach us is also about the kingdom for us. That we engage with God and cry out for what it is we're longing for. We cry out calling him by name again and again. Three times means as many times as it takes. Yeah, Stephanie. Extreme trust. I mean, such extreme trust because here he's dead now. Yeah, dead. crazy trust because he's dead. Like That's the picture. That's why this this is not supposed to be... Uh, just a, an awful story that shocks your senses. This is also, the point is dead is, is, is as sick as you can get. And here's the point, you can't fix it yourself. There's no arguing that. And so Stephanie says, extreme faith is shown in here. What I love about it though, is that I, both of them were like, what? And Elijah, give me your boy. He was like arguing, can you imagine he's carrying this boy up the stairs, arguing with the Lord like, what are you doing? If you do not experience that lostness in your soul of seeing something go down in your life that you cannot figure out how God would be okay with it, then you're not paying attention. That is everybody's experience. And passages like this in Scripture are there to teach us that God will come and intervene and bring life. Again, metaphorically, not everybody who dies gets raised from the dead. That is clearly supposed to be a wow story. But He will come and meet us in it. I characterize the third point as saying this that hope that God will come through and bring life is going to get challenged. It's going to get challenged. And then God will show up in an unexpected way. Every one of us, when we go, God, I'm going to give. okay, I'm going to trust you with this thing that's keeping me awake. And God may come through. You may see a little progress. You may see a lot of progress. All of those things will end up getting challenged because then there'll be something that comes from another direction or there'll be a relapse in that situation. Or you'll think, I thought God was showing up. And then he clearly seems to be vacant in a, that situation again. You resonate with that? That's part of the story, you guys. This this hope that God's going to show up is going to get challenged before we then see him show up in some unexpected way. And in this story, it's very unexpected. He raised that child from the dead. That is a miracle. But for us, the story is here to teach us about the character of God, that as we cry out to him who brings life, he's the only one who can bring us life. Listen, that he'll meet us in exactly the way that will bring us the life that we need for that situation. And that may mean that something that's sick dies. That may mean that a relationship that's struggling doesn't get repaired. That may mean that the job we were hoping for goes away or that the, making our rent that month actually didn't happen that particular time. And so we keep meeting with God to say, then, what's, then what? Because clearly the way that you should be showing up is that the check shows in mail. So what do I do? And we hang on to the promise that God will end up being faithful. This is a maturity thing that we wait faithfully for God. To, and we go, I don't know. I, clearly the way for you to show up was this. And it didn't happen. So I'm going to wait for you, God, and see what you're going to do. You know what my illustration of this is? My illustration of this is when I became a Christian at 13 years old, and three months later, my family broke apart. And I was like, that does not seem like a blessing. And so I got on my knees as a 13-and-a-half-year-old and and begged God, like, you can save my my family, my parents' marriage. You can do this, God. I have a relationship with an eternal God, all-powerful. You can do this, God. And I asked and begged God that he would come through and repair my, fam- my, my parents' marriage and rescue our family. And it didn't happen. So what does one do with that? In the midst of that tragedy, apparently the Lord couldn't change the free will of my parents who didn't want to do what needed to be done or could have been done. But the Lord came and met me and captured my heart through it and sustained me every day after that. I have no way I would be the man that I am now without God intervening, getting a hold of my heart and my life and taking care of me. You with me? It's not how I wanted it answered. And I think this is why the New Testament teaches Jesus said, uh, Paul said that, that when he prayed for this problem to go away, that he got the word from the Lord. My grace is sufficient for you. I'll meet you day after day after day, even if it's just with my grace to carry what it is that you need to carry. And then there's this text, and i got to quit. 1 Corinthians 10:13. No test, no no testing, no trial, no temptation is going to come your way that's beyond the course of what others have had to face. Everybody goes through what it is you're facing. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He will always, uh, he'll never let you be pushed past your limit and he'll always be there to help you come through it. God promises that through Christ, you'll never get pushed to the breaking point but that he will come and bring life in some way to what it is you're longing for because he alone is the one that brings life. And the way the rest of this story goes is interesting. If we had time, and I hope you did your reading, if not, you want to go in and read the rest of the story from chapter um, 18, where, um, where, Elijah grabs Ahab the king and all of the false prophets and gathers all of the people of Israel, the northern tribes, whoever's around and goes, all right, listen, and this is what he says to him: You've been worshiping Baal and you've been worshiping Yahweh. You got to pick. Where do you really think life is going to come from? Baal was the God of fertility and rain. Interesting, that he, was, he was keeping the, the, the drought and life and crops and food. That's what they believed. And these people are crying out, God, we need you to provide for us to come through. This is in chapter 18. And so the prophet says from the Lord, where do you put your hope for life? If it's going to be God, then put your hope in him. He's the one that brings life alone. And then, of course, he goes up in front of all of them, gathers all the prophets. They create this giant sacrifice, and and they ask God to prove himself. And they cry out, God, would you show up in power if you're the one that really brings life? And the false gods were silent because they, in the end, are not what we're looking for and the true God shows up and burns up the very saturated wet sacrifice against all odds. So the question comes to us then at the end of that, to say then why is it that we insist on trying to find life elsewhere than in this relationship with Jesus that we have? The question was asked to them, the question was asked way back when they first came into the land with Joshua, He said, listen, we're going to go into the the land. And he says to them, now fear God and serve him. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your ancestors served or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. And Joshua says this to them just before they came to the land. But as for me... In my house, we'll serve Yahweh. What are you longing for? What life do you know needs to come? Friends, Jesus is your hope. For he said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Let's put our faith in him. Let me pray over you about that before we do the Lord's prayers of benediction as well. Father God, there's stuff that we're carrying right now. Those things that do keep us up at night, things we identified at the beginning of this sermon where we... There's so many ways in which I want to try to fix it or guard or protect myself or bring happiness or... confess right now God that those are false gods you alone bring life and so I cry out to you God that you would provide even when it looks scarce that you'll keep providing day after day and that even in unexpected ways you'll give me the strength the grace to carry what it is that you've given me to carry today but I will not turn away from you or serve any false idols. For you alone are God. We place our trust in you, Jesus. Thank you for this scripture that paints that picture. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.